Today we are finishing up our journey through the letters to Timothy and Titus. And as I was thinking about it this morning, I was looking back and saying, when did we start? And we started last February, at the end of the month, before things like wearing masks and social distancing and getting sick and not knowing what the outcome would be and seeing friends and family hurting before all of the events of this past year, before the death of George Floyd and the riots in Minneapolis and the resulting tensions in our country, before the election and all of the division that came as a result of that, before all of these things, God set us about going through these letters, looking at what the church is and what the gospel is and what God has done in Christ Jesus and called us then to be. Just think for a minute about all the ways that God has sustained you and I through his word in ways that we didn't even know we needed through these ancient letters. What a good gift it's been. What a good, joyful gift God has given us in his word and in guiding us to these letters for this last year. So as we bring this season of studying these letters to a close, I want to take some time to reflect on where we've been, to think about what we've seen as we've gone through these letters about what the church is and does and what the gospel is and does in us. I want to remind us, first of all, of 1 Timothy. What we saw way back last year as Churches were closing down and going into uh, virtual living room family worship for us. And as I was at home with Nicole and we were walking through this book together, think about what we saw in 1 Timothy. We saw that the church is the household of God. 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul writes about the church as the household of God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. We are called as a church to be a pillar and buttress of the truth, which Paul says is this mystery of godliness. This idea that Christ was manifested in the flesh and that in his appearing, he has done something. He has inaugurated a new reality, bringing the kingdom of God here and now. Jesus in coming and living and dying and rising again and ascending to heaven has changed things. And this new reality, the church, is called to embody. See, it's an already not yet reality that we've seen. Jesus has come and done something and that has transformed the very nature of how we relate to God. And yet, it's not fully consummated. We're still waiting for Jesus to come back. And the world, the flesh, and the devil is trying to attack and deny this new reality with everything possible. And so God, in his wisdom, takes and gathers people locally around his word to be kingdom outposts. These glimpses of this new creation that Jesus has brought about and is bringing about. And as God gathers his people around his word... In local churches, he calls them to guard this testimony of this new reality, to guard this gospel, and to testify to it to others. 
to say, look what Jesus has done. And look what's true now about you and I and the world we live in. The way, Paul says in 1 Timothy, that the church guards this gospel testimony is through her conduct. Paul writes to this church and he writes to Timothy and he says, Timothy, I'm writing to you so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the pillar and buttress of the truth. How you ought to act or conduct yourself in the church. So we saw through the letter of 1 Timothy that the church is called to guard the gospel by acting a certain way, by embracing godliness, by embracing the new norms of the kingdom of God, by embracing what God has done in Christ Jesus. We proclaim and we live out this new reality of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, even as we're here on this earth waiting for him to return. We saw that in 1 Timothy, and then in Titus, we saw that it's this gospel that we're called to guard, this new reality created in Christ Jesus. It's this gospel that we're called to guard that creates actually in us the godliness we need to guard it. The gospel itself, the message of Jesus' death and resurrection, creates in us, his people, godliness. This is why we summarize Titus as grace works. The grace of God given us in Christ Jesus produces in us the godliness that accords with his kingdom, right? Jesus shapes us. In the gospel message, we are freed from the power of sin. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are freed from the need to justify ourselves before God. Jesus has already done that. There's nothing we can do to add to his work. And we're given this new hope that Paul writes to Timothy in light of this hope of the eternal life that we've been promised in Christ Jesus. We've been given this new hope and we've been assured in what Jesus has done that God will keep his promise to give us this hope. He will keep his promise to give us this life. And so we've given everything we need to live out this new reality. It's all been given to us in the gospel itself that we guard. So in some ways, it's not as much that we guard the gospel as it is that the gospel guards us. We saw that in Titus, especially Titus 2, 11. I want to read that for us for a minute. Titus 2, 11. For the grace of God has appeared. That's Jesus Christ coming. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That's Jesus inaugurating this new reality, bringing salvation for all people, training us then in light of this to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and savior, Jesus Christ. This is what has happened in the gospel. This is the gospel that we guard as God's people And this is the gospel that forms us into people that can guard it, can pass it on. And then in 2 Timothy, we've seen, as we've embarked in this book, that we live in the already and not yet. Because we live in God's kingdom and yet live in God's kingdom as a kingdom outpost amidst the worldly kingdoms who wage war against God, who hate God 
Because we live in this context, in this world still, living by the norms of the new kingdom, living by grace and godliness is hard. It's incredibly hard. And it involves suffering. Which we didn't necessarily need Paul to tell us that this year, right? We saw that over and over and over again. And yet Paul tells Timothy and tells us this involves suffering. It's hard work. Furthermore, it's work that we will do all the way up to the point of our death. And if Jesus tarries, we will all die. If Jesus does not return before your lifespan is up, then you will face death. That's a reality for all those who follow Jesus. That even though Jesus has conquered death, we still pass through it. Its sting is gone, but it's still something we grapple with. Because of that reality and the weightiness of our call to guard the gospel then, we see in Second Timothy that to fulfill our ministry to guard the gospel and to testify to the reality that Jesus has created, we must have multi-generational perseverance. It's not enough for us simply to endure to the end of our lifetime. But the endurance that God gives us by his grace must be multi-generational. If it wasn't, you and I would have never received the gospel. Because it would have expired with that first generation. It would have gone away with Paul. It would have gone away with Timothy. But instead, we are called to multi-generational perseverance in 2 Timothy. That's why we summarized 2 Timothy as leave a legacy For the gospel, by sharing and suffering for the gospel, by the power of God. You see, what we've seen in 2 Timothy is that we take what's been entrusted to us, this new reality in Christ Jesus, in the gospel, and we entrust it to others. We follow the pattern of the sound words that we have been given, and we entrust this pattern to others, who will be able to entrust it to others. Elders do that as they teach and raise up new elders But we all do it as we learn to live out the gospel and as we teach those around us to live out the gospel, to obey all the commands that Christ has given them. We entrust what's been entrusted to us and then we embody the very essence of the gospel. We embody grace and godliness as we share in suffering. When we do that, we've seen in 2 Timothy, when we do that, when we embrace sharing and suffering for the sake of the gospel, what happens is that we fulfill our ministry at great cost. And guess what that communicates to those around us? That communicates that though this costs everything, it is worth it. That communicates that the treasure of the gospel that we have is worth staking our lives on. There's nothing in this world that compares to the treasure that we have in Christ Jesus. That's what we communicate When we share in suffering for the sake of the gospel, we communicate the surpassing worth of the gospel and the surpassing worth of the new life and the hope of eternal life that we've been given in Christ Jesus. As we embody these realities, as we show that this is worth it and that God in his grace that he gives us in Christ Jesus strengthens us to persevere, we fill others in the Christian church, with confidence in the promises of God to bring us safely into his heavenly kingdom. 
That's what we see in 2 Timothy as we read through it. I want to take a little bit of time now to read this letter one more time. As we've done with 1 Timothy and as we've done with Titus at the close of the letter, I think it's good for us to look back at it as a whole. I say read this time because the reality is I was hoping to memorize this letter and I made it about a chapter and a half through and got so far behind it was not possible to catch up. And I want to tell you that and and point that out to you because whether this letter is memorized or whether this letter is read, it is good and profitable for us. And I want to remind you that sometimes you set out to memorize a letter and you're able to memorize the whole thing. And sometimes you set out to memorize a letter and you memorize a few sentences or a paragraph or a chapter. And none of that time is wasted, friends. Any time you spend storing up God's word in your heart is worthwhile and valuable. And sometimes you'll succeed in memorizing a whole bunch and sometimes it'll fall off. Don't let that dishearten you. I'm not planning on letting that dishearten me. I don't think I'll memorize Ecclesiastes, but I'll probably memorize parts of it. And I encourage you to do the same. So in light of that, let's hear 2 Timothy one more time. If you'd like to follow along in your Bibles or scripture journals, you're welcome to do that. If you'd like to just listen to this letter, just listening is how the original hearers would have heard it. Second Timothy 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed, but share of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, 
among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, 
arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far. For their folly will be plain to all, as it was of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and at Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Do your best to come to me soon. Excuse me. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. For he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, and also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm 
The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth and I left Trophimus who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come to me before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Amen, friends. I want to close today with a few observations. And I say close, but we're going to make a few observations. From these last few verses in 2 Timothy, verses 9 to 22. We're not going to cover all of it, but I want us to see a few things. This is the last words that Paul wrote to Timothy. This is where he ends. And in ending, he is giving an example of doing the very thing that he has called us and called Timothy to do. And so I think we would be remiss if we didn't look briefly at that. I want us to see, first of all, actually from verse 10, that love for this present world is the greatest danger to our ability to guard the gospel by sharing and suffering for the sake of the gospel. Verse 10, Paul writes that Demas has deserted him because he was in love with this present world. Demas was a fellow worker of Paul. We see that in Colossians 4 and in Philemon towards the end of the letter. He's with Paul in these ministries, working faithfully alongside of him. And yet here Paul, at the end of his life, in his hour of greatest need, has been deserted by Demas. And what does Paul say caused that desertion? Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Just says, Paul, Paul just writes, Demas in love with this present age, in love with the now, in love with the things of the now, Demas has deserted me. Paul is deliberately contrasting this for us with what he calls all of us to be in love with in verse 8 of chapter 4, right? All who love Christ's appearing will receive this crown of righteousness when he comes. And yet Demas has deserted Paul because he was in love with this present world. This is the greatest danger for us to guard the gospel right now. At least a great danger, if not the greatest. John gives a similar warning in 1 John. I want us to hear it. 1 John 2, he writes this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, 
The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Demas, in love with what is passing away, deserted Paul, walked away from loving Christ's appearing. In love with what is passing away, Demas left and pursued that. And he left what is eternal. What is not passing away, which is Christ and his appearing. This is a greatest danger to us, friends, because as we see in this passage, following Jesus, guarding the gospel this way is costly. It may cost you everything. Look at what it costs Paul. Look at what it costs Paul. He says, come to me soon, verse 9. Why? Demas has deserted me, verse 10. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. These were probably not guys that had deserted Paul because they loved the world. Because Paul doesn't say that. These are guys Paul has sent out to other missionary endeavors. These are friends, close workers of his. Dear friends that he's had to say goodbye to because of the gospel. And he's missing them. He's lonely here. Luke alone is with me. And he says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me for ministry. There's things that Paul doesn't have that he needs. Some of them even just as as simple as a coat. Right? He says in verse 13, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. I need that. Bring my books and especially the parchments. I I long to see more of the story of Christ in his word. Paul is missing these things, and these are real losses. He's been deserted, he's lonely, he's uncomfortable. He's even harmed by Alexander the coppersmith opposing his message. What I want us to see is that guarding the gospel for Paul was costly, and that these are real costs that Paul felt. Paul is not superhuman and immune to feeling lonely. And here in this passage, we see Paul's loneliness worn on his sleeve. He's not immune to being cold. And we see on this, in this passage that because of the gospel, Paul is cold and needs a coat. And so he asks for these things because they are still good gifts. But this is not where his hope is. Friends, this was true for Paul and will be true for us too because Paul writes that following Jesus is always going to be costly, right? We saw in chapter 3, verse 12, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It will cost you to follow Jesus. And if you are in love with this present world, you will be like Demas, unwilling to pay the cost. Demas loved even good things like friends. Even good things like a coat and books and other comforts. He loved these, but he treated them as gain instead of merely a gift. And so he was unwilling to lose this gain for the sake of a greater gain. He loved the world and we must not be like that. You cannot hear the call to share in suffering for the sake of the gospel. You cannot hear that and obey that if you're in love with this present world. And Paul clearly wasn't. He clearly looked to another world. It is costly and may cost you everything, but the gain is so much more. Look at what Paul gained. 
even as he left behind these things and longed for some of them. In verses 16 to 18, he says, At his first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. When he first went before the court in Rome and could have had witnesses come to his defense, no one was there. No one stood by him. He showed up expecting maybe some friends in the stands, and there was no one. Paul was deserted by everyone, and yet he says, May the Lord not charge it against them. Why? Because of what he gained. Look at verse 17. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. What Paul gained in giving up all of these worldly loves was the Lord standing by him. The presence of God. The presence of the Lord that was enough for Paul to stand trial alone. It was enough for Paul to testify to the whole world. In the middle of this trial, in the middle of this Roman tribunal, many people were watching from all over the known world. And hearing as Paul gave his defense. And what was his defense? The gospel. Jesus Christ and him crucified and the grace that comes to sinners in Christ Jesus. Paul got to proclaim the gospel boldly to the known world. And God was standing with him. The Lord stood beside him and strengthened him. Out of his loneliness and need, he experienced the sufficiency of God standing with him. The presence of God was the key to Paul's perseverance, and that was given to Paul as a good gift of God. And so that enabled him then to face his impending death, likely to be beheaded, and he was, with confidence. To say that the Lord will indeed rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his kingdom. This is true for Paul and is true for all who forsake the pleasures of this world. Who do not love this world but instead love Christ's appearing. The presence of God is with us as well. The Lord will stand by you. And you can be sure of that just as Paul was because of What happened at the cross? You see, Paul's trial, Paul's experience was not unique, right? It's the same experience that Jesus went through. Jesus himself was deserted by his closest disciples after his arrest. He was denied by Peter. He was mocked by those putting him on trial. He was accused and condemned. And all the way through that, The Lord stood by him. But Jesus' experience was different, right? What happened at the cross? The Lord stood by Jesus as he was abandoned, denied, condemned, taunted, tortured. The Lord stood by him until that very point that we read about in Matthew and Mark. Where Jesus is hanging on the cross and what does he say? He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Lord stood by Jesus all the way until that point. And then when Jesus took on our sins, your sins and my sins, God turned his face away from the sun. 
did not stand by him. And Jesus himself endured to the end. He did that, friends, so that always, always, the Lord will stand by those who are his. Always, always, Jesus cried, why have you forsaken me? So that you and I will never have to cry to God, why have you forsaken me? It may feel like God has forsaken you at times. But that is never, ever true. Because God forsook his son on the cross. Jesus hung alone so that you and I, when we stand, we do not stand alone. You and I, when we proclaim the truth of the gospel, and when we stand trial for the gospel, do not stand alone because Jesus hung alone for us. Jesus endured every evil deed, every possible evil deed, Our Savior endured so that you and I could be rescued from every evil deed. Jesus left his home to bring you and I safely home. That's the gain that is so much better than anything this world has to offer. That's the gain that makes it foolish to be in love with this present world. That's the gain that you and I have in Christ Jesus that causes us to look suffering square in the face and say, you know what? I don't know how I'm going to survive this. But the Lord stands by me and the Lord has delivered me and will deliver me faithfully, safely into his heavenly kingdom. Friends, that's hope for rescue. If you have been in love with this present world or you are in love with this present world, it is not too late. When Paul says, bring John Mark with you, for he's very useful in ministry, that wasn't always Paul's take on John Mark. Paul and Barnabas split ways in Acts because John Mark, in love with this present world, had left them and gone back home. He said the suffering was too much. And now, God has done a work in his heart, rescued him from his own evil deeds, So that he's now able to be useful even for Paul at the end of his life in ministry. The same was true of Peter. Who when he had denied Jesus three times because Christ had prayed for him. Turned and was able to strengthen the early church. The same can be true for you. If you would forsake all love and claim on this world and follow Jesus. You too will be rescued from every evil deed and brought safely into his kingdom. If you are loving the appearance of Christ and waiting for the appearance of Christ, you have the confidence that Paul had. That there is nothing that will come your way, no evil deed that will be able to separate you from the Lord who stands by you. No evil deed that will be so strong it will be able to overcome those who share in suffering for the sake of the gospel. So we can with boldness live a life that forsakes all worldly claims. We ought to be like Samuel Rutherford writes in one of his letters. He says, since ye have not now many years to your endless eternity. And know not how soon the sky above your head will rive and the son of man will be seen in the clouds of heaven. What better and wiser course can you take? Than to think that your one foot is here and your other foot. In the life to come. 
and to leave off loving, desiring, or grieving for the wants that shall be made up when you and your Lord shall meet. And when you should give in your bill, that day of all your wants here. If your losses be not made up, ye have place to challenge the Almighty, but it shall not be so. Ye shall then rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, and your joy shall none take from you. It is enough that the Lord hath promised you great things. Only let the time of bestowing them be in his own carving. It is not for us to set an hourglass to the creator of time. Friends, we ought to, in light of these things, live as one foot here and one foot there. Knowing that when we turn in the bill of those things we have lost because of our shared suffering for the sake of the gospel, the reward that Christ gives us will be so much greater. There will not be one thing missing. There will not be one thing we're sorry that we left here. There will not be one thing in this present world that we wish we had traded. But all will be joy and glory unspeakable when Christ comes back. So friends, the gospel is guarded this way as we as regular people, as Paul gives this list of all these saints greeting, they're just normal people living, strengthened by the presence of the Lord, gathered together as his house, living lives of grace-powered godliness, sharing and suffering for the sake of the gospel, and waiting for the blessed hope of being brought safely home. That's how God guards his gospel. That's what we're called to do and be as a church. And may we be it. Amen. Let's pray. Precious Father, thank you. Thank you that you stood by Paul in his trial, that he did not stand alone because through Christ you are with your people. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us, weak and frail though we are, that you would help us have confidence in these, your precious and great promises. Have such confidence that we can face whatever trials may come, whatever suffering may come as a result of our living in light of the gospel of Christ Jesus. Would you help us cling to faith, rescue us even from our own evil deeds, and bring us safely into your kingdom? We pray, amen.